Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 298, recorded January 19th, 2019. So after our Star Trek Transformers miniseries review, we're now into Star Trek Discovery, which I'm liking and... and from the time we're recording this, which is the beginning of 2019, season two of Star Trek Discovery just came out. So it's kind of nice to be watching the new episodes of Star Trek Discovery, along with reading this miniseries, Star Trek Discovery Succession, issues one through three. Yeah, and something interesting about the comic is that it is uh, showing you what happened after we left the Mirror Universe, the evil Mirror Universe. Right, so if by this time you haven't watched the first uh, season of Discovery, uh, this spoils everything. So <laughs> they they should have really had a disclaimer at the beginning. Make sure you finished it. I don't think comics have to do a disclaimer. Uh, no. Nah. Uh, some of these warnings are a little ridiculous. Spoiler warnings. But anyway, yeah. So because Discovery is fairly new right now, again, uh, season two, I might end up talking about it a little bit just because I had some thoughts about the first episode of season two. Sure. And of course, the entire season will be done before we post this. That That's is true. Pretty much assured. That is true. But as far as like the, the first season, uh, the first episode, you know, introduces Pike. But season two. Yeah. But it really got me up, got me uh, thinking. They did that book, that novel where the Shinzo and mm-hmm. the Enterprise had to team up and Pike was working with. Uh, Giorgio and mm-hmm. Spock was working with uh, Burnham. Yep. So is that no longer canon? Because this show really acts like this is the first time Burnham's ever met Pike or mm-hmm. anything like that. So that's all just out the window. Not even a year old and it's already out- no, they're, outdated. I don't think they're going – I don't think the series is going to acknowledge the books at all, comic books or the novels. I thought they said they were going to. I thought they were going to make an effort that all the books and all the and maybe they did were going to be part of one one cohesive universe. Maybe they did, but until, they're not until doing they it. started filming the second season. <laughs> maybe at some point they did, but they're not doing it. Yeah, they're not doing it. It's too bad because I really liked that uh, that book. Um, well, yeah, that was remember? good, and the first one was good too. Well, um, that was the first one. Or, okay, so the first one was good, and I liked the second one too. I know you didn't like the second one as much. And now they've got a third one with Tilly, or focused on Tilly. Well, there's then there's one focused on Fear itself is the third one, right? So now that was a more a Shiru one, right? Shiru one, right? <laughs> so there's a fourth one now that's basically about Tilly. Yep. Wow. Tilly's backstory. Oh, her backstory. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yes. I did just recently watch all the Star Shorts too, Trek Shorts, whatever they called them. Short, <laughs> short, short Trek. Short Trek. Yeah. Those were pretty good. They were pretty good. I I was hoping they'd be a, a little better, but they were good. I mean, there was good it was good production quality. Um, I, I think some of the stories were a little lacking, though. I like the, the actors uh, were good, uh, and yeah, I liked the backstory on Shiru. That was good. That was that a good. Was good. 
it, that raises some questions for me, which we kind of passed back and forth with texting recently. But right, yeah, I didn't know anything about him being livestock or whatever. I just <sighs> knew that he was a, a a prey a prey species. I didn't know that they uh, were being farmed. Yeah, like cattle. Yeah, it's crazy. It's sad. Yeah. Talk about the opposite of a non-interference <laughs> prime directive. We're going right, to interfere yes. with you, and we're going to eat you. <laughs> but the way they acted, and and they had it as part of their religion and all that yes. stuff, really made me thinking about um, alienation. I know oh. that a lot of stuff reminds me of alienation, but in <laughs> uh, it, it it also had this whole they were they were slaves, right? And they had you know they were very religious, and sometimes their religious things seemed to be more in. Uh, the the overseers uh, <laughs> uh, it was more beneficial to the overseer than it was for the the common uh, the common person so it, it really kind of reminded me of that so that was part of the um, the religion was part of their means of controlling the slaves exactly right mm. so the overseers probably gave them their religion probably yeah but even when they were free they didn't stop stop believing so that right. that was kind of cool too yeah so yeah i don't know i i liked it i liked the shiru one out of, that was probably my favorite out of the four uh short tricks mm-hmm. the calis the calypso the one that was in the future just seemed like a random uh you know reminded me of a little bit of 2001 with the talking computer and then also there was a show called moon if you if you ever saw that it was a oh, great yeah. show that with, was great uh, sam rockwell with sam rockwell and uh who was the voice of the the computer in that one? Um, I really don't recall. Somebody super famous played Lex Luthor. Uh, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> oh, Kevin Spacey was the uh, was the voice. Yeah, he was I don't the remember computer. that. Yeah. So I don't know that show that Calypso just reminded me of that one. Hmm. And then Tilly was Tilly one was good, but it, um, it was it out of all of them it was the most Star Trekky. I mean, it kind of felt like a, a next generation episode of just oh, you got to help this little girl, this girl out who oh, who happens to be the super genius princess kind of thing that can do magical things and come onto a starship with no one knowing. Yes, right, right. right. I can see that as, as a next all. next gen. And she episode. just happens to be the uh, future leader of this other planet or whatever. Exactly. I mean, how boring would it be if it was just a just a normal stowaway? Right. That could camouflage. Yes, that's also a handy thing. Yes. And then what was the last? Oh, the last one was, which was the first one I watched. I watched them out of order. Was uh, the Harry Mud one, which Harry I Mud. really liked because it it kind of harked back to um, the first episode of, or the maybe not the first, first episode, episode he was in, but one of the episodes he was in in the original series where he was making yeah. android, um, well, human-looking androids. Okay, so that was I Mud. It was the second one he was in. Okay. And he just happened upon. An advanced alien, sure, infrastructure that has these robots, right? So which, which timeline-wise, it doesn't make sense for this to come before that, but yeah, it yeah, was kind of like in his wheelhouse. Yeah. I mean, oh, I, I kind of know him from doing robotic duplicates, and oh, here he is making robotic duplicates. It was it was kind of cool. Yeah, it was funny. Sometimes it tried to be funnier than it was, but it, it was good. And another thing, though. He was completely devoid of menace in the short trek, whereas the two times we saw him in season one, 
There was an unexpected level of menace to him. I mean, he killed Lorca over and over and over again, seemingly for grins. And he liked it, yeah. He, That's true. He, he was digging it. Um, and then, of course, he completely betrayed uh, Lorca and Ash, Ash Tyler, who wasn't really Ash Tyler, as we found out later. But anyway, so he and he had that really great speech in that in that one where they were in the Klingon prison, which was, you know, basically taking Starfleet and the Federation to task for the war. It's all their fault, but blah, blah, blah. So um, I thought there was an edge to him in season one and there was none of that in this. But uh, maybe his back was to the wall in that one. I don't know. in, in, In the season one. But whatever. Right. Uh, and uh, Rain Wilson directed it. Yeah, I saw that. Trek. Yeah. Directed so cool. it and starred multiple different people in it. He played starred. multiple versions of himself. Oh. Including a hot chick. Ah! <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. That's talent. I'm just saying he's multi-talented. Oh, no, he's good. <laughs> I haven't seen him in anything I didn't like him in. Yeah. So, anyways, but yeah, uh, that, that that one was my favorite, that and was your favorite? I think the Tilly one might have. Oh, no, I think the future one with the dancing in it that was probably my least favorite. That was uh, sad. I, I was shedding a tear by the time that one was over. But it wasn't uh, very Star Trek. Kind of, kind of. I mean, and, and I was I was wondering, are we are we going to somehow see that guy? But no, they're still in the future, so I guess not. Right. So yeah. So, so now we know that the discovery is never going to blow up or anything. It's just going to be abandoned at some point and hurled into the future. So. Oh, you uh, think that's what happened? I thought well, it's just been sitting there. For it's a been years. sitting there for that long. Yeah. Because she knew how long she'd been sitting there, and there was all that dust over everything. So I, uh, I thought they established that it's just been sitting there that long. Okay, so starships can operate for three, three, uh, a thousand years, or yep. whatever. Yep, the bat never needed batteries. <laughs> Just waiting, waiting and the, for the next, next and and command. the AI was a the, the ship's computer was able to do any repair work necessary. Well, mm. it fixed the ship too, and painted a funny face on the back. So yeah, it, it didn't explain how she was able to do all that stuff and heal him, right? So she, she said that she did all these repairs to him and stuff, and I'm like, I didn't see any like nanobots or anything like. How did she, like, stitch him up and things like that? And also, how did she get so smart and become self-aware? Was that – did that happen before everybody left the ship and said, hey, computer, just take care of things. We'll be right back. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll be right back. Or did she develop that over the, what, 600 years that she was sitting there, whatever, alone? I swear they said 800 years. It would be 1,000 years. Oh, I thought it was 3,000. Oh, 3,000? No, no, no. Oh, I thought it was the year 3,000, but maybe I, I got that wrong. Oh. I just Okay, kind of, so I, it was 1,000 years in the future. So been it would have been, the, it would have been uh, the year 3,200 or 32-something. Sure. Okay. Okay. Anyway, uh, plenty of questions. But is that part of the reason because they, 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 left, <laughs> they left the ship parked for a long time? Is that part of the reason why they never had the spore drive um, oh, in, yeah. in the in the original series right maybe. i don't know oh good point know. but well they got a, they said they got a re, they got an explanation for it so it's like okay 
But anyways, so, enough about that. Shall we get on to the books? Let's do. Let's do. And you've got the first one. I got the first one. So uh, I, this is Star Trek Discovery Succession, issue number one, IDW. Came out April of 2018. The story's all set in the Mirror Universe, all four issues. So just getting that out of the way right up front. The writing staff was Kristen Bayer and Mike Johnson. Art by Angel Hernandez. Colors by Mark Roberts. Letters by And World Design. Production design by Neil Yutaki. Edits by Sarah Gatos. Editorial assists by Chase Moratz. And publisher is Greg Goldstein. All right, so there seems to be several covers because it's at issue number one, so you know they got to pump them out. Cover number one shows Burnham and a whole bunch of troops and uh, in front of uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. This is cover by Angel Hernandez. The second cover is just a photo of Burnham in her Mirror Universe uniform. The next cover is kind of a cartoony cover by George Castodos, and it's kind of a cartoon version of Emperor Giorgio, Captain Tilly, I believe, and then up in the forefront is Burnham, and they're all wearing their Mirror Universe uniforms. And then the final cover is by Deacon Shalvey. And it shows the ISS Discovery kind of flying towards the reader. And there's like a white nebula or something behind him. So again, the story starts and completely is enclosed in the Mirror Universe. The beginning part starts a few years or maybe about a year before the events of Star Trek Discovery. And it shows Mirror Lorca and I guess she's the princess, uh, Michael Burnham. And they plan to eventually overthrow Empress Giorgio. But uh, while they're making these plans, it, they're, uh, they're basically naked all the time and assuming that they're making this sweet, sweet loving. So we flash forward one year in the future, and the events of Star Trek Season 1 of Discovery has taken place. So the ISS Shinzo is surveying the destruction of the Imperial flagship Charon. Scans show that there's a nearby shuttle. Commander Dittmer orders them to investigate and get clues on the destruction and possible death of the Empress. When they bring over the shuttlecraft, it turns out to be someone named Lord Henshu, who tells them of what happened in the episodes. And then Dittmer kills him and takes upon the rank herself of captain. Later on Earth, Lord Alexander, who is Giorgio's nephew, informs the palace of uh, the shuttle that Shinzo found and the evidence that Lorca and Burnham both betrayed the Empress and that she is now confirmed dead. With that, he then takes upon the mantle of Emperor of the Terran Empire. Meanwhile, on Quonos, Laurel, Amanda Grayson, and some others are forming a rebellion, and they're discussing their next steps. With the Empress killed, they all agree that now is the time to strike. Back on Earth, Emperor Alexander tells Cornwell that he plans to kill every non-human species in the galaxy. He has created a genocide weapon that targets specific DNA, and it can be dispersed throughout a whole planet with one shot. Later, Cornwell discusses the plans with a man named Edwards. She tells Edwards about the crazy plan, and she says that they must do something to stop it. Back on the Shinzu, the newly captained Dittmer and a woman named Lieutenant Auskin bicker about some orders that they received. All the while, unbeknownst to them, the cyborg Aram 
creates a breathing mask over her face from nowhere and then releases a gas throughout the bridge. Everyone on the bridge collapses and dies except for her. She then opens a shipwide communication and informs the crew that she is the newest captain. Meanwhile, on Ryza, Harry Mudd is doing everything he can for refugees from around the galaxy. He is tending to a small Andorian woman when he is surprised with a visit from the real Mirror Burnham, who is not dead at all, it seems, and it's to be continued. Harry Mudd. Uh, the and, nice guy. Well, yes, in keeping with this being the Mirror Universe, the semi-bad guys are actually incredibly squeaky good. Mud is helping refugees like crazy. Right. Telling little Andorian girls that her her Targ? antennae is going to grow back up. Oh, right, right, right. And giving her little stuffed targs. Yeah. Yeah, I would think that the antenna wouldn't grow back. Ah, depends upon the alien. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you base it on us, no, it wouldn't. Yeah, ears but, don't grow no. back when we lose them. No, no. But that doesn't mean... Hey, they could have a bigger healing factor than us. Uh, you never know. Yeah, I need to go back and watch all those episodes of Enterprise. Oh. Because yeah. there, there's an episode where one of them has his antenna broken. So I'll have to see if he says that it'll grow back. <laughs> but I don't, I don't remember it actually being completely removed from his head, though. Right. Well, you would think that this is the kind of thing that could definitely get damaged in a little bit of rough and tough battle. And they do like to fight. so They do. They're, they're, they're rather a uh, violent race. Kind of like how in the, what is it, 1700s or whatever, when sword fighting was somewhat common, uh, losing noses and stuff became kind of not necessarily commonplace, but it wasn't that uncommon for, to see people without noses. Yeah. Or, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I had I, read the thing that said that uh, that was like the first kind of plastic surgery was that because there were so many people losing noses and stuff in <laughs> sword fighting that uh, wow. that was like the first time they started to try to give people fake noses and things like that. Wow. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So anyways, uh, I really like that this uh, Arum girl had a, uh, I mean, she doesn't do a terrible lot here, but I'm like, oh, she actually can talk and... And she can kill. She can, she can have some sort of motivation. We don't know what it is yet, but I was I was pretty intrigued by the end of this issue. Oh, yeah. And she's ruthless. I mean, as totally to, ruthless. As to who she is. Yeah, and, and what she was doing is she vented the atmosphere on the bridge. Is that what she did? Yeah, that's what she did. Then why so, didn't they all get sucked out? She vent. She vented it slowly? I, that's what she said she did. I mean... Yeah, okay. So she's happy to do it. I mean, later... Is it this one that she also uh, threatens to do that, the entire uh, crew? Yeah, yeah. She says she's going to dis- – if they don't comply, she'll disable the life support throughout the show. There you go. There you go. Yeah, so and she's got her little mask going there. So it was like at first I thought, oh, she's like robot kind of sort of girl, so she doesn't need air. But no, she's got a little mask on. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, so we got the real Michael Burnham that makes her uh, appearance. Interesting. When they did the Mirror Universe thing in season one, it was like I was thinking, oh, you know, the real Michael's going to show up and they're going to have to fight each other or something. Right. uh, No, that never happened. But she's showing up now. So interesting. So now we know what happened to the Mirror Lorca. We know what happened to the Mirror Burnham. But we still don't know what happened to the real Lorca, do we? Oh, our Lorca? Yeah. Uh, No, we don't know what happened to our Lorca. Although we do know, but obviously it's not canon. So at the end of that issue, 
that was Kodos the Executioner and showed uh, Lorca earlier in his career. Yeah, the second novel. Exactly. So yeah. at the end of that, they basically said he was in a mirror universe prison. So, oh, okay. But anything they say, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Whether the TV show pays attention or not, who knows? No, um, it has to all be canon. We have to make it fit somehow. <laughs> Definitely at the end of that, I mean, it kind of seemed like, you know, there's a possibility Lorca could come back if he's able to escape that prison and get back to his proper dimension. So Right. So the, in, the, in that book, the events of that story is what led him to the mirror universe to be caught, or it kind of flash forwards, like, for no reason? Like the story ends, just, and they're like, oh, meanwhile, years later, we're, now he's in a, in a prison. Yeah, and, and you didn't even know it was him until the end. Uh, so there was a little spe- the part that was just talking about a person that was in this prison trying to figure out where he was. And then at the very end, he's – did you read this? You read this, I right? didn't. Like I said, I didn't finish it because oh, okay. it, it I'm ruining it for like, you. Then. I kind of got a little bored. Okay, well, anyway, so he takes out a, a little thin strip of paper, which is a fortune cookie, fortune. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so it was like, oh, oh, it's Lorca. Nobody's going to call him Lorca, and he didn't call himself Lorca. Most of it was like him and his own thoughts. Right. So, um, yeah, they didn't hit you over the head that it was Lorca, but you figure, you figured it out, and then, you know. All right, I'll need to finish that. He has the fortune cookie. Anyway, so uh, at least that puts out the possibility of, uh, of what the original writers might have had in mind, but who knows? Who knows what they'll do? Right. As, the, as obviously a lot of ideas from the original uh, creation – of the story by what's his name? Um, oh, Brian Fuller. Brian Fuller, that? right, right. Tons of ideas Brian Fuller had. Many of them were, you know, eighty-six because the new people that took over. Um, and I'm not talking about the producers, but the higher ups. Right. Uh, you know, they, they changed what was going on. So anyway, the thing is, they can set up all kinds of things early on. Who knows if any of it will show up in season two? Right. So one of the things that uh, in Discovery that the first episode of season two that I really liked was that in the when they were doing the last season on on Star Trek Discovery, they did make sure that they showed a scene with Lorca, which is the mirror Lorca, but Mm -hmm. the Lorca on the Discovery eating a fortune cookie. Mm -hmm. Um, And then later they show Pike finding a little scrap of a fortune cookie on the floor. And he reads it, puts it down, and walks away. And then the camera kind of pans over to show what it was. Right. And it was something like, "Not all cages are prisons," or something exactly, like that. And exactly. And I was laughing so hard because it was that yeah, was so a, awesome. That's a nice <laughs> nod to the cage. Yeah, because because uh, yeah, he it wasn't necessarily a prison because he had had a girl on his side and yeah, I thought that was great. I like that that little nod. That was a nice nod. So uh, speaking of this story though. Um, Amanda Grayson, I like seeing her as part of the resistance. I thought that was cool. Yes. It's unfortunate what happens to her eventually, but uh, yes, it was great. And she looks a little bit like uh, Winona Ryder. A little bit, but a little bit. Also dark hair. Kind of like the woman that played Amanda in the first season. Uh, does she? Because we definitely see her again in the first uh, season two, episode one. Yeah, she looked like this, except she doesn't have the wrap around like she does in this episode. She almost yeah. looks like a Jedi in here. <laughs> right. Oh, anyways, I liked seeing her. It never actually says that. Oh no, it does say that she was married to Sarek. So yeah, this is definitely 
in the mirror universe, she well, she would have to be there to have Spock. Right, and and of course, Sarek was killed along right. with um, uh, what's the name? The albino Klingon. Takuvma. Takuv. No, that's that's the big guy. Isn't oh. Takuvma the, the 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 leader that got that? Oh, Vok. Vok. That's it. Vok. So Vok and Sarek, they got killed on the planet, right? Right. At least that's what they were saying. At least they were saying that, you know, they were talking about the big loss. Right. Um, what what happened to uh, Vok in the, at the end of the last season? I kind of forgot. Well, he went off with the female Klingon, who was going to be the leader. Okay, he did go off with Laura. He went off with her. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. That's and, cool. And apparently they're both coming back at some point in season two, so... Yeah, in the little this in the little blurb at the end, they said that she's the high commander. Oh, which oh the Klingon. Yeah, yeah. Chancellor, or whatever. Yep, that's cool. Good luck keeping the. <laughs> good luck keeping power. It seems like an odd way to get power, <laughs> by by, basically, holding the whole planet ransom. Right. With the uh, the explosive, but eh, okay, whatever. Whatever works. Exactly. Obviously, they don't have uh, the Electoral College, so they do it other ways. <laughs> All right. So um, do we know who this Alexander is, or is this the first time we've ever heard of him? Uh, the first time we've ever heard of him. At least, okay. I never heard of him before. And then the the guy that Cornell's talking to, uh, Edwards, was he in the show at all? Edwards. Edwards. Remember, she's Edwards. just talking to him about, you know, after she talks to Alexander and is like, yeah, I'm behind you 100%. And then next page, she's on a balcony talking oh, to this, that guy. Uh, Edwards guy. No, I never heard of him. Oh, okay. No. All right. Because well, even in the synopsis, I was like, some guy named Edwards. But then I was like, well, what if he was in the show? And I just don't remember. I know. Uh, he might have been, but I don't remember him. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about this today. By the end of the first season of Star Trek Next Generation, I knew who all those people were. You know, and I don't know if it was just because there was more episodes or they gave more character development to all the characters mm-hmm. or I watched them more often because I would watch them when they were new and then I would watch them again later as a rerun when they were in between seasons. Mm-hmm. But by the time the second season started of Next Generation, I knew who all these people were by name and, and a little backstory of everybody. Mm-hmm. Whereas at the you know the beginning of season two of Discovery, I don't really know who anybody is except Burnham. And well, and a little bit from from the comic books. Yeah, that's something that people complain. That's one of <laughs> for the people that do not like Star Trek Discovery. That is on the list of things it? that some people don't like about the series. There's such a high focus on Burnham. It's at the expense of everybody else. Most of Star Trek has been an ensemble piece. Original Taws focused on the terrific trio. Right. Uh, but they still had time to find out about Scotty and Sulu and Chekhov and, and Uhura uh, right. to some degree. I mean, other than Saru, there's an awfully big focus on Burnham. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that was like in this episode when – or I'm sorry, the actual episode, the TV episode of the first season, um, second season, when Pike says roll call and he has everybody say their names for mm-hmm. the first time. Yeah. I and mean, skip that was the a, rank. I like right. That. And then that was – 
it wasn't until then that I realized that this woman that got that got killed here on the bridge, uh, mm-hmm. who was Captain Dittmer. Right. I kept thinking she was Tilly because I ah. couldn't remember their names. Yeah. And it was like, oh, it's a redheaded girl. That's the Tilly girl. So, uh, and then when she dies, I was like, oh, they killed her off. And then when I watched the episode just earlier today, that was when it finally clicked on me that I was like, oh, that's not her. That's the girl that usually has the the cybernetic eye and things like that. Yeah, it's, she's got that, some some kind of metal around her 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 eye right well she did say she got it when during that first battle the battle of the binary stars because she's in that first season scene and she doesn't have it and then when they come back later after the shinzu's been fixed uh, that's when she has it right so anyways uh yeah i don't know i like the show but that would be my one complaint is that i don't really know who anybody is (laughs) i mean aside well uh, well, a lot of the bridge crew because there there are a fair number of people on the bridge of course and right. we and you just see them briefly, and you do hear their names sometimes. It's just um, they say so little, and they don't really mention the names very often. It, it's hard to keep track of them, um, right? Because they really don't say much. Unlike you know uh, Orville, which I think they do a good job of. Everybody Spraying that's on the bridge kind of has a, you know who they all are. They're they're yep. they're a character. Yeah, it's not all focused on the captain or any other. Of course, obviously, you know, Seth MacFarlane and um, whoever the first officer is. I mean, they spend the most time with those. Adrian Padalecki or something? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, her. So obviously they get more time than anybody. But, man, they do spread it around. Right. And uh, that that relationship between the robot guy and the, the doctor, I'm not quite sure about, but. Okay, whatever. I'm digging it. I like it. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's fine. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, are I you, mean, are you completely caught up? Pretty much caught up. Yes, okay. I, I did not see the last one, but I saw the second to last one. Yeah, so the last I didn't. One was really good. Yeah. So where he's captured by the bad right. guys, I have not yeah. seen that one. Yeah, that's a good one. I just know he does get captured. Although I have a suspicion that is that new girl. We're probably gonna. Well, no, no, we're not ruining this for anybody because this is not going to actually. Yeah, this be is a open. year later. This was exactly last, okay. So when they're listening to this, it's going to be a year old. So that scientist or whatever that came on board in the previous episode. Well, it was and the then, first episode of season two. And then two. the pilot guy was kind of like, "Ooh, she looks pretty good." And yep. then she uh, starts making the moves on uh, Ed or the captain. Mm-hmm. Is she a spy? I wonder. Why would she be a spy? Well, because. Don't they like? I mean, all I've seen are previews. I haven't seen the thing. I just saw a little little preview thing, and I know. Well, let's not let's not hold things up. <laughs> anyway, the main the main point out. It looks like it might have been a little uh, set up, but whatever. Right. But my main thing is is that I like both shows, but I think Orville is doing more character driven stuff than Star Trek Discovery's been doing. Well, there's there's lots of people you see uh, commentators out there on YouTube and other places that uh, say it's 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 more Star Trek than traditional Star Trek than right. Discovery is, and and quite quite frankly, supposedly to some degree because of the license deal that was put out there, it has to be different from right. cause. Yeah, so it has to be like twenty five percent different or something or like that. Right? It can only be twenty five percent the same. Exactly. So yeah, it's, it's weird. That's weird. Now, now, I definitely something confuses me on that. I can definitely understand that with Bad Robot and Paramount in the movies, mm-hmm. because Paramount is licensing the ability to make Star Trek movies. 
uh, since the split. So right. CBS owns the rights. Paramount is leasing it or whatever. Right. Um, and so they've got all these restrictions on them. But this is Bad Robot producing for CBS. I mean, CBS has the rights. So if you own the rights, I mean, is that is that 25% different thing still apply uh, to the production folks for Star Trek Discovery? Seems like it does. It seems like it does because things are different. Actually, it's more in a line with the JJ verse, which makes sense since it's the same company making the stuff. But, well, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. I don't know. A little confusing. I'm digging it all, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, would, I like I it mean, all. it would be bad if they tried to have Pike's Enterprise look like exactly like the original Enterprise. Right. People and, would not go for it. And from that one hallway we saw of the Enterprise, um, they're really playing it up to be a uh, Uber ship. Right, and it was so Fancy colorful, Fancy. just like the old, the old, uh, the old Star Trek was. I mean, it didn't yeah. look like it, but it was like the old Star Trek had unnecessary color because <laughs> color was new. Right, exactly. And I liked how when when Burnham went to the Enterprise, it was like really bright red everywhere for no reason, and I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, doesn't she say something about a colorful? And I thought she was talking about the. Uh, she was talking about the uniform. The uniforms, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, anyways, uh, back to the issue. I don't really have anything else to say. I have nothing else to say on this one either. Uh, It it sets things up. We know who the characters are. We we know what they are in this context. And there's been a lot of transition going on. People working up the ranks quick. So it's kind of good to have this to know where everybody is. And who is who? So this Alexander guy never knew who he was before. Okay, fine. And then knowing exactly what, what Admiral Cornwall or Cornwell, she's interesting too, what she's doing, uh, playing a little double game. Anyway, it was a good setup. So do you think that, uh, and this, I don't want it to sound like I'm trying to be racist, Uh (laughs) but is there supposed to be some sort of biological connection between Yoshi from Star Trek Enterprise and Giorgio? I mean, I know one's Chinese aware or, of. and the other one is uh, is Japanese. Japanese. But, but the fact that the Mirror Universe episode of Enterprise ends with oh. with <laughs> Yoshi being the Empress, and right. then you know we don't see or, anything in between there, and then uh, well, then this one has Empress of uh, Giorgio. Did Yoshi actually become the Empress, or did she figure she was going to become the Empress because she had the uh, the magic? Uh, the she had the ship. Yeah, she had the she defiant. Had defiant, and she had the kill from a distance uh, device. Oh, that's right. She had that too. Right. I thought that she said she actually was. But ah, okay. Who knows? Okay. It, it's been a while since I've seen that episode. Right. Okay. Well, on to number two. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Great. So this one has a published date of May 2018, and I believe I believe everybody's the same. Oh, Angel Hernandez, Angel Hernandez. Yeah, everybody's the same. So, moving on. We've got three covers. The first cover features Elrel and her multi-species team of freedom fighters, and they're all armed and looking down from a burning, multi-tiered building with the Terran Empire symbol on the building. Covers by Angel Hernandez. Cover B is a photo from the TV series featuring Emperor Giorgio in full royal regalia. The same kind of outfit has she has in the uh, issues the retailer incentive cover a is a drawing of 
Emperor Giorgio in the same outfit as in the photo cover, but her face is in profile and she's uh, drawing her sword, which is pretty cool. Oh, actually, there's a there's a fourth cover. Fourth cover is a second retailer incentive cover, and it features a drawn cover of the flagship and palace of the Terran Empire, named the ISS Charon, or Charon, whatever. That cover is by the clan Shalvi and Jordi Belair, 10 years ago. Michael is sparring with swords with her mother, the Emperor. Giorgio compliments her on her quickening reflexes. Michael is emboldened and wants to fight for real. She wants to draw blood. The Emperor kicks her butt and lays her out flat on her back with two blades across her throat. If she wants blood drawn, why not her own? The Emperor is called away to confer on the unrest on Talar that is escalating. A frustrated Michael is accosted by her slimy little cousin, Alexander, who reminds her that she is an orphan and not of royal blood. He says she will never sit on the throne, no matter what happens. Fast forward to the present in a refugee camp on planet Ryza. Harry Mudd is walking with Michael Burnham. She is asking for his help in overthrowing her cousin, Alexander, and leveraging the many times... She helped him get out of Imperial trouble with all his smuggling. He reminds her of all the priceless information he has given her over the years. Mud proposes that Michael forget about the throne and make a clean start of it away from the eye of the Emperor, Alexander. The second he sees you, you will be locked up or killed. Michael is not to be dissuaded from her objective of taking the throne. On Earth, the Emperor is telling his number one of the great dream he had, disemboweling his cousin Michael for attempting to poison him in his sleep. Best night's sleep he has had in months. Cornwell suggests the first deployment should be to a small out-of-the-way world to give them time to assess the efficacy of the toxin and make any needed adjustments to this new superweapon. The Emperor has more confidence and says to use it on a Klingon world first to make them an example. Light years away, the new captain of the Shinzu is informed the toxin dispersal pods are in place and they are ready to set course for Jamaris 5 to use them. They detach from the cool black space station, but rather than departing for the planet, she orders the ship to come about. Captain Iram makes it splendidly clear she does not take orders from the Empire anymore by ordering a full volley of photon torpedoes to be fired into the core of the space station, destroying it and multiple dock ships. After the deed is done, Captain Irem tells her crew to set course for Quonos. To avoid useless conjecture on the crew's part, she matter-of-factly explains she is not fully human and as such will never truly be accepted by the Empire and promoted to the rank that her achievements deserve. The crew has the choice of either following her and being enriched or dying when she flushes life support out of the entire ship except for the bridge. On to Quonos. In Kronos... Elrel and her Andorian right-hand man, Kalev, discuss what the Empire is up to with their sudden recall of most of their people off Kronos. Kalev actually theorizes they may be preparing to wipe out the entire race. 
Elrel disagrees and says aloud it may be time to contact their ally in the Terran ranks. Another voice that turns out to be Michael Burnham's is surprised there is a traitor in the Imperial ranks. Elrel is ready to kill the supposedly dead Burnham when Amanda Grayson speaks up for her and says Elrel needs to hear what she has to say. Burnham offers an alliance to find out exactly what Emperor Alexander is up to and, as a first step, proposes assassinating the governor of Kronos after they pump him for information. They do not trust each other, but Elrel and Burnham make a deal. Later that night, they stealthily take out the guards and smash into the governor's office. He is ready for them and transports away before they can kill him or find out why the Imperial troops evacuated Kronos. His parting words say he will report to the Emperor that Michael is still alive and that he will return soon enough, after this world is wiped clean of your kind. Cut to a view of Kronos from space with the forward hull of the ISS constellation moving to eclipse the pale green planet. To be continued. Bum, bum, bum. Exactly. Lots of death. Yeah. Things are moving along. I like this. Now, Michael gets her alliance with the rebels pretty quick, but that's an important step. So that they're doing that, and that's cool. And we're going to find out exactly how well this toxin works, unless someone can stop them. Right. So did you like that last shot of the green planet with the ship? I loved it. I thought that was great. Did you say what the name of the ship was? Yeah, Constellation. Oh, okay. the Constellation. Yeah, when I first looked at it, uh, you know, my, uh, I guess, I saw it a little dyslexic. I kind of mixed up those letters at the end. I was like, the Enterprise. Nah. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> you it's mix it up a lot. Zero, one, seven. Well, it's just mixing the. Oh, the numbers. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. registry numbers. Gotcha. Yeah, just the registration yeah. number. Yeah, because it is one, zero, one, seven. Right. Yeah. Which we all gotcha. know is uh, Captain Decker's ship. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. And we'll see Captain Decker. They get sent into the the mall, right, of the Planet Eater or whatever he was? Yes. What's it? Doomsday Machine. What's it called? The Doomsday Machine. Yeah, that's right. That's the name of the episode. Yeah, I like that. Because of perspective, they make the Constellation look huge compared to Kronos. Right. Uh, Which, of course, it isn't. But uh, if it does successfully cleanse the world of all the Klingons, (laughs) well... That does make it kind of a powerful uh, ship. So speaking of powerful ships, that's maybe my biggest complaint about this miniseries. Mm-hmm. And that's how powerful the Shinzo is. Because it completely destroys this space station mm-hmm. that you would think would be pretty heavily defended. I mean, there's there's other Starfleet ships there. Not Starfleet, but yeah. Terran gotcha. ships right. docked. You would think that there would be other ways to defend it. And it just swoops in, fires a few times, Blows it up and then keeps on moving. Okay. So it's a full volley of photon torpedoes, and they don't have their shields up because they're all one big empire. And the ships, I mean, how could you do anything? I mean, most of them are docked. So There's no other ships just flying around doing patrols or anything? I uh, don't know. I don't know. I, I don't remember seeing it, but maybe. I don't know. I just don't think you would be that, I mean... We've seen photon torpedoes hit ships before that don't have shields, and it doesn't just completely blow them up, does it? Um, 
they said a full volley. I don't know what a full volley is. How many photon torpedoes are we talking about? If you hit it in the right place, where... What yeah, gives I, I've the seen power Star Wars. To... I know it really only takes one. <laughs> okay. If you hit the right exhaust chute. Right, right. So maybe that's maybe that's what they're talking about here. Well, but I don't know. I mean, and then she, and then it does something in the next issue that I was also like, eh, it's. I don't see how it could have done that and not taken any damage itself. Right. Yeah. Well, they had also just backed away, so they weren't that far away from it. So there wasn't a lot of time for anybody to react. Right. I get it. Yeah. So yeah, whatever. It's as powerful as it needs to be for the story, Donovan. Don't you know that? Right. <laughs> the art, the artwork, I really like though. It, it it looks nice when it's flying around the the Shinzu. I mean, oh, all yeah. the artwork's good, but the space art, the ship artwork's, I think, really good in this one. Yeah, and I especially like when they're showing all the photon torpedoes, and also the like little swishy things from the engines going behind them, and and it's like a shot from underneath in one in one spot. You know, when they're in the middle of firing, uh, right? All the all the munitions. I think the Shinzu looks very cool. A very nice shot. And it's so cool that the bridge is on the bottom. Uh, you've said that before. Yeah. I think it's I think it's, I think it's cool. I don't it's it's not that cool, Ken. I think it's cool. I I think it's a cool difference. It's a differentiator, Donovan. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but it's really you just flip it the other way around and it's just a normal ship. Yeah. With the mm-hmm. the nacelles on the top and the the well, that's what they do these days, don't you? Don't you know? They just flip things around, just move and stuff then, around. And they're a like, bit. "Hey, it's brand new." Exactly. Until you like turn it upside down and realize, "Oh, this really is just the uh, an X01." Yeah, I'm a toy collector from way back. I noticed when they repurposed parts and in different toys, or just repainted it and be like, "It's a brand new action figure." <laughs> uh, well, I've seen look, that before. It looks just like He-Man, except you painted him blue, and now you're calling him a different guy. Okay, I'll buy it. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Take my money, okay? Take it now. Yeah. So, Uh, no, I get it. So, yes, I agree with you. The artwork's good, and that particular particular section, it it looks really good. It's on the lower page. Right. You know, just before the space station blows up. Another thing that's kind of cool is, not that I think it's the best-looking thing in the world, but a ship... That is docked. That they, you can see it very well when it blows up. Is um, is an odd-looking ship, uh, a ship that kind of looks like a plate and two forks. It looks like the Jupiter Two to me. Ah. Like, <laughs> okay, gotcha. Like a lost in spaceship, just a kind flying of. saucer. Yeah, a little bit like that. Because it is just. I mean, the thing is made up of uh, the primary saucer section and then two uh, engines. Engines, you know, complete with bus art collectors and everything, kind of pasted onto it. On the top, yep. Yeah, and that they're gonna th- that ship is gonna be uh, coming out with Eagle Moss. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, they're gonna do that again, and that's uh, that's a, a McGee class starship. Huh. And an example of that is the USS Sharan. So there you go. And the Eagle Moss is just coming out with all of them. I know. It's pretty cool, really. It's really amazing how many they have come out with. So, uh, and they're kind of running out of things to bring out. <laughs> <laughs> so they're bringing out some of the ships you never saw in any movie or TV show, but they're basically things that were concept uh, okay. designs. 
that never came to fruition. Uh, so, uh, did I mention this before? But the Voyager. Mm. So they almost went into production with the Voyager that looks a lot different from the one we got. And at some point in the production, I think it was Jerry Taylor, had supposedly said, you know, we really need a little rework in Voyager. Could you make it look a little more curvy? We want it to look like a Lexus. Supposedly she's at Lexus. And then we end up getting our very cool-looking Voyager that we know and love. I think, I think the Intrepid class is a pretty cool-looking ship. Yeah, it's different looking. Yeah. Anywho, enough of ships. What else is going on in this issue? Aram, I like that she has a motivation that she never felt like she was being treated as an equal with the Mm -hmm. other Terrans because of her cybernetic parts. Yep. Never explains why she has them or how long she's had them. Has it been since birth or was she created that way or was there an accident kind of like Dittmer? Mm -hmm. Uh, Who knows? So they had to put her back together like the $6 million man. But they don't say that. So They don't say that. So, but all yeah. we, Because wh- why would – I mean she seems to have a lot of parts replaced. Uh, she reminds me of – who's Gamora's sister in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, Nova? Nova. Okay. Uh, no, Nova? Isn't that it? Uh, I don't know. But it's the sister. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who has – a lot of replaced uh, parts with cybernetic parts. Yep. No, so that's she, a very good analogy. She kind of reminds me of that, that person, right. that character. I just kept thinking like Batman because <laughs> like really her whole head is, is cybernetic except oh. for her mouth. So it's like, what if Batman wasn't wearing a cowl? That was just oh, his gotcha. metallic head. <laughs> okay. okay. And the only human part was the mouth area. Okay. Well, there you go. But yeah, no, uh, Nova's probably a better analogy. Yeah. So why is Kronos green? Because uh, Krypton's green. I don't know. Because <laughs> you'd think the Romulan worlds would be green, wouldn't you think? Like <laughs> Romulus? Because the ships are all green. Right. You know? I don't think? think it's green. I mean, in the movie or the TV show, did they show it? And I've never seen it all. I, I don't know. But I, uh, ever since, uh, I'm pretty sure since, um, was it Next Gen? Well, definitely the, I think when they started showing it in the movies, the Taws movies, I think it was green. And they definitely made it green in the uh, JJ verse. Did they? Oh, well, yeah. I never even noticed. Yeah, but just, just to mention it real quick, because I don't want to keep us held up too much. But there is actually a Reddit thread where... <laughs> Uh, some guy who's a science, scientist or something. I mean, uh, and, and he, I, apparently also a trekker, uh, and just asked the question uh, on Reddit, you know, why is Quonos green? And his theory is a low amounts of chlorine in the atmosphere. So it's just algae growing everywhere? Oh, chlorine. That's not algae. He said low, low chlorine. Well, low amounts of chlorine in the air. I mean, if if there's too much chlorine in the air, most, at least life on uh, on on our planet, dies quickly. I mean, yeah. Okay. If, you have, if you inhale too much chlorine, you'll die bad. So when you're doing your pool and putting the chlorine in, don't inhale too deeply. Anyway, so uh, so anyway, that's that's it. And uh, hmm. And does that explain why the the Klingons are so rough and tough? Is because uh, they, they grew up that? in this chlorine environment? I I don't know. 
Uh, maybe, maybe. But uh, maybe it wasn't always so green. Maybe it's because of industrial whatever. That's weird. I've never noticed it being green before. Well, so it's always green. Okay, oh, it's always so, green. So it was saying it wasn't always green. So there was some references to it earlier in the Star Trek. I don't know whether it was Taws or some earlier productions where it was not green. Um, but then it started being green maybe the next gen time frame something like that that's what the reddit thread was saying hmm. anyway so and star trek online it's been depicted as green eh, anyway have done. you been playing that uh no i have not been playing it that's something i would love to play uh it it is a source of many cool versions of federation ships starships mm-hmm. right. I, I would love to have the time to play that i i, I just don't have the time Maybe yeah. when I retire, but still on. I fired it up a few times to try to get into it, and I just it it's a it, it's a time commitment. So yeah. once, when, if you don't stay with it, then uh, you, you you don't get very far. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But now they have like a discovery season or something, so you're in the discovery universe. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know how that works. Does does everything in the whole universe changes to that timeline? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I have an account. I went there once, and I just didn't take the time. I said, I'll, I'll come back to this. Right. it was like kind of teaching you about what you need to do and stuff. And it's like, right. eh, this is a little bit too involved. Exactly. I'll have to come back. <laughs> and then I, and then like years later, I went back and started over. I was uh-huh. like, oh, I don't remember anything. I'm going to start over. And then I think I got a little further than I did the first time. And then right. I, I quit again because it's just too much. There you go. There you go. But not saying it's not fun. So no, I'm sure it is. It's just if anybody listening time. and is a big fan and wants to, you know, give me some pointers, mm-hmm. uh, please do so. You will take them. The last thing I have to say about this issue is I thought it was really cool when those two Doc Togs hit those two guards at the uh, governor's right palace the or whatever. Yeah. Woo! It hit. I mean, you see, the way they have it drawn is. The two guards are there, like on the outside of the building by the by the doors, and you just see the these two knives coming in at like warp speed and just you know just just gets them right in the perfect place to like kill them instantly. It's right. pretty impressive. I think that would take a lot of strength to be able to throw a knife like that, uh, and it looks like based on the silhouettes, it was. Um, Elrel and the Andorian Kalev that did it. Right. I thought it, it was cool. Like. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was a cool th- shot. And then later, um, when they showed the governor, I kind of yeah. thought it was cool that he had kind of like a, an original Taz goatee, huh? Klingon goatee. So aside from being oh, I gotcha. very okay. pale, he looked a lot like those original Taz Klingons. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Yep. Good point. Kind of blending in a little bit with the natives, just a little. Well, oh, this, these Klingons oh, don't have any hair. That's right, right. Oh, but they do in this season. It looks season like they're two. going to in this season, so that'll right. be interesting. I hope they yeah. explain it. Nah. Nah. <laughs> no, we're, that, that would take too much away from the action. Yeah, well, we've all gotten to a certain age, and we're growing hair in very odd places. <laughs> exactly. When we were young, we were as bald as a cue ball. But no. right. Yeah, exactly. All right. Anything else? Nothing. 
All right, then let's move on to issue three, the last one we're going to cover today. Cool. Uh, I believe the uh, writing and everything is the same. Um, it did come with a whole slew of covers, as always. So the first cover is by Angel Hernandez, and it just shows, uh, I guess she's now Captain uh, Aram, and in her eyes shows the, the Terran Empire instead of pupils, so that was kind of interesting. But aside from that, it's just a super close-up of her face. The next cover is a photo cover, and it's just Burnham in some sort of combat suit. And then the third cover is by uh, Yoshi Yoshanti, and it's kind of the cartoony cover, and it shows Burnham in her Mirror Universe outfit sitting at a captain's chair with uh, some sort of planet behind her. And then the final cover is by Deacon Salvi and and Jordi Belavere. And it is the, I guess it's the Shinzo kind of coming at the reader with a big sun in the background. So it's just kind of almost a silhouette of the Shinzu. So good stuff. I like that cover. All right. So the story starts with an 18 month ago flashback. And this shows Empress Giorgio discovering that Lorca is a traitor. And she has a, a group of people in front of her, and she actually says that he will die at her hands. She then confronts Cornwell, who she knows that Cornwell and Lorca were friends. But uh, Cornwell uh, assures the Empress that her loyalties are with her and not with the traitor Lorca. This is interrupted when an aide comes in and brings some troubling news. He says that Michael Burnham is dead. The Empress dismisses everyone, and once everyone leaves, she falls to her knees in despair. Back to the current time on Earth, Emperor Alexander is being informed by the Quonos governor that he saw Burnham on the planet before he beamed away. Alexander sees this as a failure on the governor's part that the governor did not capture her, but instead ran away like a baby. Alexander has the governor killed by a nearby man named Captain Tracy. He then demands that Captain Tracy bring him Burnham now. Meanwhile, on the surface of Quonos, Burnham tells Laurel about the plan to wipe out all Klingon life on the planet. Laurel reluctantly agrees to help Burnham, even though Burnham did not hold her bargain by making sure that the governor was dead first. In orbit of Kronos, the ISS Constellation is about to disperse the weapon when they are suddenly attacked by the Shinzo. Captain Decker is battered and falls off his chair, but they are not destroyed. Captain Aram informs her crew to only target the engines and cripple the ship. She then flies away, but she has beamed over the new weapon. Meanwhile, back on the planet, Burnham, Laurel, Kor, and Amanda are suddenly beamed away back to the Shinzu. Aram proves to the rebels that she's on their side by killing a few of her guards. They then plan out their next mission, and it'll be on Earth itself. When they arrive to Earth, they beam down to Cornwell. The plan is for Cornwell to bring Burnham, Amanda, and the two Klingons before the Emperor as prisoners. They will then ambush Alexander. Cornwell brings the prisoners before Alexander, but things do not go quite as planned. The guards turn on Cornwell, and Alexander kills Amanda for being an alien lover. Meanwhile, in orbit, Aram watches over the planet, and she is contacted by somebody that the weapon is ready. She tells this person to begin launch preparations. To be concluded. Whoa. 
So this uh, Irem, how are we pronounce it? She right. is uh, she is motivated. She is motivated. So it sounds like she was able to take the Earth toxin and re-engineer it to kill humans. That's what it looks like. Hmm. So she's gonna wipe out all life on Earth. That seems a little all overkill. humans, all the humans. Well, I mean, there's not. We are the dominant species on on Earth. Well, I know, but there's a there's a lot more uh, life on Earth than just people. But but it, it's not it's not like she's gonna take out all the people. So right. uh, ouch. And she oh ruthless. Oh she she's ruthless. She's she is bad. <laughs> yeah, she's bad. She's bad. Yeah, she she's not happy. She's not a happy lady. No, no. So that's uh, your, that's the captain's um, ready room. Is that um, last shot the there? Shinzu, yeah, yeah. That, that last like she's got a lot of space. That's nice. All right. Right. That's yeah, nice to have a ready room. Yeah, Kirk, never, Kirk never had one. No, but Pike does. So that's weird. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, what in the original series? In the original uh, pilot? No, but in this this episode, he he mentions that the ready room on the on the discovery isn't like the one on the enterprise because there's no chairs or something like that so oh okay okay you, you're uh the episode yeah the episode sorry i okay, I, gotcha. I jumped that's cool that's cool anyway just absolutely delicious uh how uh captain arium is is doing that <laughs> i'd love it that's great so they mentioned a captain tracy you mean dick tracy no a captain tracy in this issue yeah the one that kills the governor uh-huh yeah, who is he? I believe that is Ron Tracy from, as in the Omega Glories episode, Captain Ron Tracy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think. So he was the guy. So he went native. So he episode. was. He was. Well, what was he doing? He was. That episode, the Omega Glory, was written by Gene Roddenberry, and it was one of the three or so scripts that were looked at for the second pilot. But they went with Where No Man Has Gone Before, which I think was an excellent choice. Because I really don't think the Omega Glory was that good an episode. But anyway, so he's the captain of a starship. Somehow he went native. And he is basically using as much technology as he can to help one side on a planet overcome another side on on a planet. Ah, so. Interesting. Yes. And it turns out to be... um, Basically parallel to Earth, but in this one, Asia, probably China, ends up taking over the U.S. So the Yangs are the Yanks, and I forgot what they uh, what they call the Chinese people. So hmm. anyway, so uh, Ron Tracy, I think that's that's who that was. Probably so, was interesting seeing more and more characters uh, from Taws uh, brought forward in in this mirror universe. Very cool. Just keep on, keep on name dropping. They just keep on name dropping. <laughs> nope. Uh, that, that's good. Yeah. I did like the Decker thing. Uh, I thought that was a nice touch. Yes. Yes, Captain Decker of the Constellation. Very good. And and that was... So was he really supposed to be Decker's father? Father, yeah. Uh, Decker is in the one in the motion picture. William Decker. There you go. William, exactly, William Decker, who's quite a bit like Will Riker. Hmm. I know, weird, right? Totally weird. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Have you ever watched the motion picture and then follow it up with the uh, Where No Man Has Gone or the the pilot? Of, is it Where No Man Has Gone Before? No. Which what's pilot? the pilot for Next Generation? Oh, um, the first episode. Yeah, the what's pilot. I don't think that was, was there a pilot. Um, the first episode was Encounter at Farpoint. Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever watched those back to back? Because th- that scene with Decker and Ilya and the and scene between Ry- uh, Riker and Troy are almost exactly the same. Exactly. I agree. I completely agree. Yep. Yeah. Only uh, you know Deanna had hair. <laughs> right. And then they never do it again. Talk talk telepathically like that. Right. Oh yeah. The, actually, that's a, that's an interesting point. Um, Deanna Troy's powers were a little muddled at the beginning, weren't they? Yeah. So she went from she from being a true telepath that could, you know, read your thoughts, into somebody that could just read emotions or something, right? Yeah. Exactly. Was that like too much power or what? I guess so. They were like, oh, yeah. we gotta, we gotta dumb her down a little bit, <laughs> make her a little bit less superpowered. I thought Amanda being killed off in this uh, issue was just for shock value. It shocked me. I was. It shocked, shocked me. Yeah. It's like you can't kill Spock's mother. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So Sarah gets it in the actual episode, and then she gets it like really unceremoniously, just yeah. sliced. Yeah. He Almost kind of dis- like how she dies unceremoniously in the in the JJ movie. Mm-hmm. She just falls off a cliff and doesn't get beamed up. Mm-mm. And uh, yep, bye bye. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I I was that was the most shocking part in this this issue for me. Right. I did like how it was kind of when they were shooting people, uh-huh. like when uh, what, what's her name, Iram, right? Shot shot those crew members. I mean, that blast like ate through people. You can like see it kind of like eating chunks of their body away and going through it, mm. but it doesn't like disintegrate them. And then when they fall to the ground, there's big pools of blood. So mm. do uh, mirror universe phasers work different? I don't know, but that does look pretty cool. Or is that like in full disintegrate? No, it's not in full yeah. disintegrate mode. Or else they would be. It, it may, is that heat up rocks mode? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a little more than heat up rocks mode. <laughs> Well, it drills a hole through him, yeah. Right, it does. And it doesn't burn it or anything, so it's just like he's just sitting there bleeding out. Yeah. It's nasty. Yeah, and it seems like... Okay, is that just because she's that fast? Because she's got one weapon, right? But there are two beams cutting through two people. Yeah, no, she she shot it that fast. Okay, okay, so she's that fast. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, she's basically Data. So anything Data can do, I'm assuming she can do. <laughs> is is she? What, what did Data say in that one where he got together with uh, Tasha? I am what? anatomically correct, or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she can do anything. Okay, well there you go. Yikes! That Data could do. There you go. Funny that you went there, Ken. I, you said anything. Of all the amazing things Data can do, that's the one that you think <laughs> of the first. You focus on. <laughs> oh, I don't. I never. Anyway. Uh, yep. So, Core was he in the show? That name sounds really familiar. Is it just because it's a common-sounding Klingon well, Core, name? Yeah, Core was a, a Klingon captain. In in, in the original show. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Okay. In Taz. So this is supposed to be that Core. Ah. I guess. 
I mean, was was there a core character at all in the Discovery Mirror Universe? Not episodes? that I'm aware of. Okay, I didn't think so. Not that I recall. I mean, they look no nothing like <laughs> like the Dawes Klingon, so uh, whatever. Right? Yeah, it could be a family name. Yeah, this could is his, be. Uh, his his grandfather there or his go. father. I don't. Know, it'd be more of his father than his grandfather. Yeah. But yeah, their their physical changes quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In one generation. Exactly. Amazing, isn't it? Kind of like how at the end of the Enterprise, they they uh-huh. try to explain where the smooth-headed came Exactly. Out. Exactly. They took a shot at doing it when they really didn't have to, but they took a shot. Yep. And we appreciate it. And That's thanks right. to Data, because he was there too. At least the actor, Brent Spiner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you better get that straight. <laughs> People are right in. Yeah, okay, that so, was not Data. Okay, so that... That that was not Noonien Sung who built Data. That was the father of Noonien Sung? Yeah, it was Noonien Sung's father. Okay, okay. But then even after that, that guy said that he was going to start looking into... Uh, robotics? Uh, robotics, yeah. <laughs> of course, that's great. It's all got to tie in, Donovan. You must have been in seventh heaven. Oh, yeah, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, what, what? I mean, I really don't have anything else. Have you no, read I, the fourth issue yet? I have not read the fourth issue yet. Okay, I won't spoil it then. I I, I saved it. I could not wait. I had to figure out what happened. So uh, I, <laughs> I know. I know exactly what happens. Well, um, I'm looking forward to uh, Alexander getting his his desserts. Um, seeing how many more people die, I'm sure Michael will not die. Um, and we'll see what happens. Hmm? So you think think they're going to continue on with uh, this thing, and then maybe Michael's emperor or something? Or I hope so. Hmm. I would like well, to not? see it. Yeah. But uh, we have to get through the next issue first, Ken. Uh, I know, I know. I'm just looking forward to the what, what happens next. What happens next? Because I, I mean, you know what probably happens. Alexander probably dies, and Michael probably becomes emperor. And we'll see how many people survive. Do you really want me to tell you, Ken? No, I don't. I'll spoil it. I'll oh, spoil I'll spoil it good for you. I spoil the crap out of it. I'll spoil it good for you. Nah, you don't have to. But if you want to, I'm, I'm, no, I don't no, no. Either way. I, I don't, I don't want to deprive you of it. Okay, good. Okay, that's that's all I got. All right, so Looking next Looking forward week to seeing how it ends. What? Yeah, yeah. Next week we'll find out how it ends. Plus, cool. we'll do the. Uh, they did do a one Star Trek Discovery annual, so we could uh, we could fit that in there and just do the two. Okay. One long one and one short one, but Good. that way we can stay all in the Discovery universe. Great, wonderful, wonderful. And maybe talk about the next couple of episodes uh, here of Star Trek Discovery. No, oh, there you go. All right. Okay. And find out more about the Red Angel or whatever the heck it is. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting editing this in about a year and being like, how did they not know? (laughs) It's so obvious. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. See you then. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. 
All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic, second name book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.